is Engineering Heroes. Welcome to an Engineering Heroes refocused episode. My name is Melanie and my co-host and our podcast resident engineer is Dominic. Today we are going to refocus our attention on an episode from way back in our archives. In episode 6 of our very first season, we spoke to Dr. Mary Stewart from Energetics. Now, at the time of the podcast, Mary was the Chief Operating Officer and the Executive Director. But since speaking to her, she's now been promoted to the Chief Executive role. I don't think we can claim Mary being on our podcast is the reason she got the CEO. No, that's not <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But uh, Mary is the bingo observer on the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. And bingo observer is the business and industry NGO observer just in case anyone was wondering, because I had no idea. So she was invited to take up this position by the International Chamber of Commerce. Mary is also on the board of the Energy Efficiency Council, where she chairs the strategy committee and is the current vice president. Now, Mary made a very strategic decision to become an engineer. Her parents wouldn't pay for her to attend university, so she needed to find a degree that offered a fully funded bursary. That meant she had to choose between accounting, law and engineering. I looked at the boards of directors of the top 50 companies on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. They were dominated by the mining sector at that point, so the boards were dominated by engineers. Okay. Um, I I went with engineering, and pure extractive metallurgy was too confined. It meant that I could work in a smaller section, which is I chose chemical engineering because it appeared to have entry points to far more industries than, than minerals processing alone. You probably heard her accent just then. You see, Mary grew up in South Africa and attended university there. However, when she was doing her PhD, her supervisor accepted a position as a head of department at Sydney University. And he invited Mary to continue her degree in Australia with him. That was over 20 years ago and Mary is still happily here. She now works at Energetics and this allows Mary to work with clients on challenging problems such as how to produce carbon neutral aluminium by 2050. And in her role, she takes it up another notch to look at things like Australia's commitments to global environmental challenges. It was this very topic that Mary spoke to us about back in 2018. I'm immersed in this on a daily basis. Whenever there's something in the Fringe Review about energy prices or something in The Guardian about emissions reduction, I'm aware of it. But engineers have to be aware of the policy environments in which they are developing answers. Because we don't know now what we're designing for in 2050. The climate will change. Severe weather conditions will increase. The economy and the economic structure will change in response to whatever happens on carbon reduction. And yet we're building plants that have 20, 30 and 40 year lifespans. Yeah. Yeah. So the engineer of today has got to think about a solution that is not a single point solution. We have got to design solutions that are robust, irrespective of what happens with weather, irrespective of what happens with demographics. We have to design robust solutions, not necessarily optimal solutions. It's interesting that you've come to it from a different perspective, like what you were saying about the policy certainty to get this. Because it's the one thing that really 
you're right, it needs to drive it because otherwise, unless there's a, a need to move in that direction, people are just going to stick with the status quo because it's easy. So it, it needs to, someone kind of needs to drive the change too. Well, what we're seeing with the RET, which is the renewable energy target, is that that sets a requirement for a certain percentage of renewable energy to be in, injected into the grid by 2020. And underneath the REC, we're seeing a whole lot of renewable energy projects being implemented now. They're being implemented because they financially make sense. Yeah. It is cheaper to develop those than it is to develop a whole lot of the older, more traditional electricity producing technology. So it's a financial solution, but it's a financial solution to a certain policy objective. Yeah, I was actually going to wonder like, how much would policy drive versus financial or is that kind of hand in hand? For, for me, the policy is part of those sets of conditions which bound your problem. So, so, so ultimately your problem is bounded by thermodynamics. Mass can't be created or destroyed. Energy can't be destroyed. There are bounds to your problem. Policy is just one of those bounds that says we can't go past this. And we have an indication of what emissions reduction needs to look like in 2050. But what we're arguing about is the trajectory to get us there. Because at the moment, we are on an increasing emissions pathway. And somewhere along the line, policy is going to have to say, that emissions pathway is wrong. We need it to look like this. And that will bound our problem differently to yeah. how it is bounded at the moment. So you can imagine there's so many things that tie into that just in regards to population growth and just the, the demand on resources that are going to happen over the years as well and making sure that, that that's all taken into consideration to drive it in the right direction. And for me, the tools of the engineer are the ones that will get us there. It's the systems thinking. It's understanding the interconnectedness. I mean, whether I'm talking about how people react to each other or how chemicals react with each other, people laugh at me because I say that a lift is a batch process and an escalator is a plug flow reactor. Yeah. <laughs> Dom's laughing. Yeah. Dom's like agreeing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so underneath it all, I'm a geeky engineer. Um, I'm loving how you, you keep coming back to these engineering principles when you're, you're describing a, a policy or a situation. Because every now and then when you talk about the policies, I'm thinking she should have studied politics or something because it seems to be quite involved. But, yeah, no, I know, no, I can yeah. see you shaking your head. <laughs> but there's constantly an element of engineering in every solution. And, and then what is a solution here? Is the policy certainty, is that going to happen? Like, what do we need to do to get that? We need bipartisan support for something yeah. <laughs> before the next elections. So the coalition's proposed framework is the NEG, the National Energy Guarantee. Its ambition is low. And, and mm. that's what I was talking about with respect to an emissions trajectory. Yeah. Its ambition is low. And there are some challenges with the NEG. So policy certainty is what we need to the point where policy could be counterproductive. Policy certainty is more important than excellent policy. So okay. poli yeah. policy certainty on adequate policy is good enough. So it's a case of as long as we're moving forward, it, we just yeah. need to move forward. We just need to have something in place. Even if it's not what we'd love, as long as there's something there that's moving us in the right way, then that's obviously mm. going to be far greater than not doing anything at all. And... From what I'm seeing, 
and what I'm hearing, and these are entirely my opinions and not those of my companies, there's probably greater challenge within the coalition to get support for the NEG than there is between the parties. Because Labour will accept the NEG and will compartmentalise it to being for electricity only and will develop policy for other sectors of the economy. So I don't see Labour getting in the way of the NEG some of the factions in the coalition that are most likely to derail it if it is derailed. You did yeah. say at one stage that it's going in the wrong direction, like the emissions, which is concerning for me. Yeah. Like not well, it's concerning for everyone. It's concerning yeah. for our children as well, which is the... It's Why? People should be talking about generations. that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, it seems to be... A, unfortunately, it's one of those things that people just seem to gloss over until it's too late and then it's a case of well, what do we do when you sort of say well, well we've been telling uh, you for the last lord knows how many years that we well, I mean, S- Sydney this morning had negative temperatures yeah. on the outskirts these extreme weather events are going to carry on it's not that climate change will happen it's climate change is happening, happening. Yeah. what are your thoughts for future engineering it links into what I was saying about that robust response a robust answer um, so, so an engineer I admire is a man called Roland Clift. And Roland um, is an emeritus professor at Surrey University. And he started the Centre for Environmental Strategy. And he was one of the first engineers to research the role of engineering in sustainability. And he wrote a seminal paper in about 1995 about engineering for the environment. And it was called Engineering for the Environment the new model engineer and her role in society. <laughs> and Roland was the first, one of the first people I met who spoke about diversity of thought and the importance of diversity of thought in solving the problems of now and the problems of the future. And he spoke of the variance tolerant engineer. And it's that an engineer who's able to engage with uncertain information and to come up with a robust answer, so an answer that doesn't change or changes little as a function of varying parameters. So changing temperature and pressure and climate and your response remains relatively constant irrespective to how you try to make it different. And women are quite often better placed to engage with that type of thinking. And that, that's, that's the diversity debate, and it's, it's women in STEM. It's, it's about making sure that we get the right brains to think about the challenging problems. Of course, there's a role for the black and white thinkers and the very deductive thinkers and the very analytical thinkers and the way engineering has typically been approached in quite a, in inverted commas here, I'm waving my hands, male approach to problems. But for, for me... The future of engineering is about the ability to embrace diversity and it's the ability to embrace diversity of thinking, diversity of thought and diversity in response surface. Thank you for listening to another episode of Engineering Heroes as we present the new dawn of engineering challenges for Engineers Australia. Your hosts have been Melanie and Dominic Tajoya. You can view this episode's show notes and learn more about our podcast by visiting our website, www.engineeringheroes.com.au. If you enjoyed today's show, all we ask you to do is go and tell someone, either in person or write a review. It's that easy to show your support for engineers everywhere. We look forward to you joining us next week when we bring you another interview with one of our engineering champions.